we have a theoretical agreement that in our weakness God is strong, but in practice we are strong. And so when things happen to challenge that truth, everything falls apart. Because what we live out is not necessarily what we say in the good times. We want to hide our weaknesses and, and so we, we cover them up and we make them look nice and pretty. Looks nice, doesn't it? Looks nice. But the truth of the matter, don't ever plant something in this plant pot. Look, there's even another layer of trying to make it pretty. Sometimes things fall out. We like to pretend that we covered over nicely. And we're good at it. I bet I can go to most of you guys and just superficially look at your life and go, wow, you've got it all together, don't you? And yet each of us, I think, looks more like that. Maybe we confuse God's power and our power. And I think sometimes God has to knock out our so-called power so that His power can really shine. A few weeks back, Alan preached on, we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that this power is from God and not from us. You know the nice thing about earthen vessels? And I think this message today is, is maybe going to be harder for the blokes in our midst. I see one person nodding. Because in our society, it's expected for men to be strong. You have to be strong for your peers to look up to you. You have to be strong in your workplace. You have to be strong for your family. You have to hold it together. But even then, we're more like the clay jar. And God comes to us and says to us, actually, you think this is oh, so embarrassing. Don't let anyone see. But in actuality, says God, I have deliberately chosen to use the foolish things of this world. I have deliberately chosen to use you in your weakness. In fact, I have deliberately chosen maybe to point it out to you every now and again as he did to Paul. And, and, and what Paul comes to at the end here in chapter 10 is this argument that we are to glory in our weakness. And this is so countercultural, and, and, and really it is foolishness to the world. You do not say how poor a person you are. 
And Paul's opponents here, it starts in, before we started in chapter 11, he's got these people in Corinthians and they're trying to lead the Corinthian Christians astray. And, and they, 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 these, these opponents of Paul, they're, ooh, we're so good and we've got it all together and we can tell you all the stuff that we've done. And Paul goes to them and goes, you want to stop boasting? Let's compare. Oh, you've done all these marvelous things. Well, I've been shipwrecked. I've been tried. They've tried to beat me to death. Oh, isn't that something to boast about? I've been flogged a few times. How many times have you been flogged? And Paul, Paul turns it on his head. That's not something to be proud of. Hey, I've been in jail five times. Invite me to speak at your church. This is foolishness. And I think as Christians, one of the things which is to set us apart from the world outside is our glorying in our weakness. Let's be honest. What separates us from the world is not our strength or our intelligence. What separates us from the world is our seeking to recognize our weakness. You see, the church is a place where the covers are taken off. The world wants us to get to the top. Christ, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself. Came in the form of man as a servant. Speaks about us being servants. The world loves power! And the God of all creation gurgles and cries in a manger. cries and breathes his last on the cross in weakness. One Corinthians chapter one, Paul says, Remember, my dear brothers and sisters, few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead God chose the things the world considers foolish to shame those who think they're wise, and he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can boast in the presence of God. No one can boast in the presence of God. And here we are in God's presence. Which is why my, my theory is that, that it's in the church that we should see each other as we really are and encourage one another in our weaknesses and in our foolishness and in our lack of intellect and all those things which God says, I will use this because I am the one who is at work in the world. But you know, the the thing is, we're not just foolish. God has gifted us so incredibly greatly. And and we we can use those gifts wonderfully. 
But the problem is that sometimes we can take the gifts that God has given us and try and use them as if that is enough to do the work and the life of a Christian. Do you understand what I'm saying? We, we take the gifts that God has given us, the life that God has given us, and we live as if that was everything. We live out of our own strength rather than God's strength. And let's be honest. Paul says, I won't boast in these things, but he could have boasted. And looking out over you guys today, we can all boast about some stuff. Paul says in chapter 12, let's, let's go back. You want boasting? I'll tell you about boasting. And he speaks in the third person about himself. Verse 7 tells us that he's actually speaking about himself. But he, he gives us this experience. And it's not a normal experience for him because he has to go 14 years back to speak about it. But, but it's this majestic experience of being taken up into paradise. And, and I love how Paul says, was I in the body, was I out of the body? I don't know. But I went to heaven. Was I out of the body? I don't know. What did I hear? I don't know. <laughs> I can't express what I heard. I'm not allowed to say what I heard. But it was pretty awesome. He says, I could boast about someone like that. I could boast about myself, but, but I'm not going to. This happened at least 14 years ago, and the Corinthians have never heard of it until this moment. Until this moment. He'd spent two years with him. Surely it makes sense if you want to reach people and see the church grow, we should be sharing our, our individual experiences of, how, of what God has shown us. If God has shown us. You see, the opponents of Paul, they'd be looking at him going, ha, huh, well, I had another vision last night. Hmm and the week before, and the week before that. Oh, poor Paul, 14 years. And just as an aside, I, I think what Paul is showing us here is that God forbids him to speak about his experience there because Christian faith is not built on individual experience with God. If you have a vision of God, wonderful, fantastic, tested by the Scriptures. But Paul says, I'm not going to tell anyone about this. I'm only doing it now because you're forcing me to. What does he speak about? He speaks about Jesus' death and resurrection. Our hope is built not on individual experiences of God, but on the once for all disclosure of God to us in Jesus on the cross, risen. You see, Paul says, I will not give in to this human urge that we all have to put the private individual experience above what God has shown to us in history. And I haven't even told you about this. I spent two years with you. I didn't tell you why. Because it is of no benefit to you and because really it would be a 
bad thing for my own life in Christ. To focus on that. Really, why would anyone boast in their own private experience of God when in fact God has done everything and did it a long time ago? And I, I feel sorry for those who are on this bandwagon of seeking after more and more spiritual experience. Because that's not the way God necessarily works. In fact, if Paul's anything to go by, it's an abnormality rather than a normality. Instead, says Paul, if he will not boast in the glorious things that he has seen, if he will not boast in his own experience, he will boast instead of his weakness and of his thorns. On my daily walk, I I walk past the Dog Beach Deli. I don't know if any of you have done that this week. They've had a sign that says something along the, the lines of, once you have conquered the enemy within, you can conquer the enemy without. Which sounds quite nice if you think about it, but it's complete dribble. Basically saying, if you think positively enough, nothing can stop you. The power of positive thinking. Ooh, I'm going to get a Mercedes Benz. Ooh, I'm going to get a Mercedes. Drivel. Drivel? Yeah. You see, Paul says, having had this experience of God 14 years ago, almost immediately, I, I, I read from the passage, almost immediately comes a thought. comes this horrible experience, and it's not just a one-off thing, it's something that Paul has been experiencing, I believe, for at least 14 years. And as he writes this letter, he is still experiencing this thing. Don't know what it is. Some people say it's, it's a physical illness. Some people say it's an emotional illness. And, and, and my reading of Paul, sometimes he gets depressed, especially when he's alone, you read through Acts. Some people say it's it's all the people who are attacking him all the time. Whatever it is, Paul gets this thorn and he hates it. He absolutely hates it. He cannot stand it. Cannot stand it. But his solution is not to say, Oh, I'll just think happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts. How stupid can you get? No. Paul's got this thorn and no amount of happy thinking is going to change anything. And I'm willing to bet that, that when this letter was read out in the church of the Corinthians, Paul's opponents would have stood up and said, Ha! Proof that you should not follow Paul. After all, if he were a true Christian, 
he would know that he merely has to prevail in God and nothing will stand against him. True Christians don't suffer. True Christians are strong in God. Sounds a bit Winston Churchill-y. That's terrible. And they would have mocked Paul for this. And if Paul's theology was their theology, it would have broken him. Because when we live out a theology of strength where we think we've got it all together and then it turns out that we don't, we question everything. And I'm sure you guys, there's people here that have experienced it, if not all of you. We question our lives, we question our faith, we question God. Because Christians don't suffer, do they? God just wants us to be happy, doesn't he? A couple of years back, somebody said to me, I know this isn't, or words along the lines of, this isn't ideal, but God just wants me to be happy. But Paul gives us a very different perspective. He turns around and he says, wait a second. This thorn was given to me. Implication, who gave it to me? Oh, I wonder. It was God who gave this thorn to me, says Paul. His opponents and, and the world and even us sometimes say, well, Christians shouldn't suffer. And Paul says, well, God's the one who gave it to me. And he gave it to me for a reason, because I have a tendency to be stuck up and proud. Verse 7, I love the NLT translation, because Paul says that twice. He says, um, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, and keep me from becoming proud. To keep me from becoming proud, I was given this to keep me from becoming proud. Paul's got a problem with pride. And I bet I would too if I had an experience of being in heaven and seeing God's throne. Wow. Boy, I'd need to be, I'd need a huge thorn. <laughs> God is the one who gave Paul whatever it was he was suffering. And God is the one who said to Paul, No, I will not. And yes, Paul calls him a, a messenger from Satan, sent to torment him. The word there is batter. The image is, ow, that's actually sore. Battering Paul in the face. And Paul's got this, this thing, it's, it's an agent of Satan, but God is ultimately in control. And you see what, what, we, what we learn from that is that Whatever evil may befall us, God is ultimately in control. And yes, Satan might be bringing stuff against us. It could be temptation, could be weakness, could be life experience, could be whatever. And yet Paul says, God is ultimately in charge of this. He knew his Job, chapter 1, where God says, Satan, fine, go, test my servant Job but I put limits on you. 
because I'm in charge and you're not. Get used to it. And this is 14 years ago, and by this stage, if it's a physical thing or a mental thing or an emotional thing or whatever it is, Paul's not interested in a diagnosis. What Paul is interested in is the fact that this is from God, that it has a purpose, and that God will use it for his glory. So what does Paul do? He doesn't think positively. He doesn't say, Ooh, I'm going to suffer some today. Ooh, I'm going to suffer. Yeah. He's not an idiot. He's not a masochist. He's not a stoic. When the suffering came, says Paul, what did he do? He prayed. Oh, God, thank you for sending me this thought. No. Oh, God. Why? After all that you've done for me, after all that I've seen, why this? Take it away, I pray. I beg of you. Three times he says he prays. Remind you of anyone else? Father, if it is your will, let this cup be taken from me. Father, if it is your will, let this cup be taken from me. Father, if it is my will, let this cup be taken from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And each time, what was the answer? No. No. Does God always answer yes to our prayers? No. In fact, I think there's probably only one or two prayers that are guaranteed a yes answer. One of them is Luke 11, where Jesus says, if you as human fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks him? Ask for the Holy Spirit, you've got it. (laughs) God doesn't always answer yes, because God has our best in mind. And in Paul's case, this was... Paul, you need to be kept humble. You need to realize, Paul, that although you are an amazing writer, although you are an incredible evangelist, although you have done all the stuff in your life and seen these gifts, Paul, you need to realize it's not about you, it's about me working in and through you, Paul. And so I'm giving you this thorn. And Paul... I don't think ever came to see the thorn in his flesh as something to be celebrated. He knew it was a messenger from Satan. You don't celebrate Satan's messengers. But he did come to a point in his life where he was able to look at it and say, God, by his grace, is using this to make me rest on Jesus more and more, and more. And God in His grace is taking this bitter experience and transforming it into something good in my life. G. 
Jesus said to him. And <clears throat> notice that Paul wasn't allowed to repeat what Jesus said to him in heaven, but he's allowed to repeat this, my strength for you. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And just by the way, notice, notice exactly what Paul says. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power works best in weakness. Paul didn't get it the first two times. <laughs> and I bet most of us don't get it the first few times. When God says to us, actually, I've got it. it it's in hand. And I've got you. And Paul goes back and says, oh no, but Lord, actually... Paul, I've got it. It's in the control. Don't worry. Oh, but actually, God, it's really... Paul, I've got it. It's under control. My grace is enough for you. My we your weakness, my strength, do the maths. Our sufferings, our experiences... Life this side of eternity can never, ever, 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 ever outstrip the grace of God for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Paul says, I will gladly boast in my weaknesses. Not because I like them. Not because we should be having competitions going, Oh, how weak are you, Graham? Do you know what? This week I suffered four temptations. I beat you. That's not what it's on about. Paul's saying, I, I won't boast in it so that we can compare how bad each other is, are. He says, I'll boast in it because let's boast together because we're all broken pots and God's light is shining in us, despite us. We live this side of the kingdom of God and, and well may we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come because then everything will be better. Well may we pray that and long for the new creation. But in the meantime, says Jesus to us repeatedly, my grace is enough. If you will only rest in my grace if you will only base your life for my sake instead of yours. And this is so, so, so countercultural. I think our church and the church and our lives need to be places where we can come to each other and say, I am struggling in this area. Or there is a new chip in my life in this area. Because together, out of that, God works. And let's be honest, if we go to, to evangelize the new people in the suburb, or our neighbors, or our family, and, oh, everything is so wonderful in my life. Ooh, and if only you were a Christian, you could be as wonderful as me. That's not what they want to hear. They want to hear, yeah, I know what your life is like because my life, it's like that well. But you know the difference? I have Jesus Christ in me and therefore I have hope and therefore I have his strength and therefore I can see my way through this life. And what are you going to do? 
when the pot breaks and the cover is ripped off by circumstances? What are you going to do? I've been there. I know what it's like. God is in me. That, my friends, is how evangelism works. Why do you think the church grows best when it's persecuted? Because people see reality in us. We're so good at covering up and looking good and looking religious. We sing happy songs every week. Because sad songs just don't work for Christians, do they? Well, if you've been reading the Bible readings, ooh, those Psalms. Yesterday's Psalm. When, Lord? And it finishes with, but you're eternal. You're going to be there forever. But I know you. So what are we going to do in circumstances of pain and suffering? Well, says Paul, and says God to us, pray for deliverance, just like Paul prayed for deliverance. And God can deliver, and often he does. Think of Daniel. Think of the blokes in the lion's den. Saved miraculously. But if God doesn't deliver, we've got two options. Either we can let God's failure to deliver us convince us that God doesn't care for us, in which case we have a theology that unless things are going well, God isn't there. That's an option. It's not a good option, but it's an option. We can turn in desperation to false teachers like those Paul was combating who say to us, well, God just wants you to be happy, have enough faith, and everything will be right. And if things aren't right, then you must have done something horribly wrong. Remember Job's friends? Said to him, you must be a scumbag and a half to be suffering like this. Oh, sometimes we suffer because we've sinned. But not always. In fact, dare I say, usually not. There is a third option, which is the option Paul gives us. He says, if God says, no, I will not lift this suffering, this experience from you, then see that God is using using that thorn to pin you closer to himself. To pin us closer to Jesus Christ who gives us grace enough and strength enough to bear the experience or the pain or the whatever and to grow himself in us. The good news of the gospel is that those who find themselves weak, anyone else? Anyone else? The good news of the gospel is that those who find themselves weak have a promise from God that says, my grace is enough for you.
And by the way, that doesn't mean my grace is enough that you won't worry about it anymore. My grace is enough that you won't think about it anymore. It just says, my grace is enough that you will get through it. My grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul finishes on a note of triumph and says, I will boast in my weaknesses because then God works through me. And then I turn and rest on God the most. Psalm 51, one of my favorite psalms. The sacrifice you desire, O Lord, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. God is near the brokenhearted, says Psalm 34, verse 18. What does that mean? God is near to those who realize that they are a cracked pot. Not cracked pots, cracked pots. We have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that this power is from God and not from us. Wow. (laughs) Father, thank you for this. Lord, thank you that your grace is enough to hold us no matter what. Lord, we own that so often in our lives we try to make it on our own. Lord, we try to put up a facade of prettiness and beauty and Lord deep down each one of us knows that there are pieces of cracked pottery in our lives thank you father that sometimes you you rip away the shrouds that we use to cover this Lord I pray that you would continue to do this in each of our lives because what our world needs the most Lord is not is not pretty Christians but is real Christians in a real world who have hope and grace enough. We long for your return, Lord Jesus, for the day when everything shall be wonderful and we shall not just be whole pots but beautifully glazed ones as well, made in your image. But until then, pin us close to yourself. Be glorified in us, Lord, we pray. Amen.